Okay, let's take our Bibles. We're going to open to Mark 15 as we move towards the end of the Gospel of Mark. We've been going verse by verse, and we've been looking at a series that we've called The Passion of the Christ. And um, as we move towards the end, just a couple of quick things. We're going to stop at chapter 16, verse 8, and then next week I will deal with what's called the controversial ending of Mark. And here's, here's what that means. Verses 9 through 20 of Mark 16 are debated. You say, what do you mean they're debated? Well, there's two kind of streams of manuscripts. One has the ending, one does not. And uh, there's some differences in the Greek and Latin manuscripts, and there's actually a couple of alternate endings to the Gospel of Mark that they've discovered. And uh, so that's what I'm going to talk to you about next Sunday. And the verses do have a lot of value for us. I'll talk to you. It'll be a little bit more technical, but I think we all want to understand why there's even a debated ending to Mark 16. But we're not going to go there today. We're going to go to Mark 16, 8, but we'll start in 1540. Let's pray one more time. Father, I want to thank you for every precious person that's come here, every family. Every precious soul, thank you that you died for each one of us, Lord, that you so loved us that you gave yourself. Paul said, you loved me and you gave up yourself for me. The gospel is a very personal thing for all of us because it's God's love for us. And as we look at the different people that will be center stage this morning, Lord, who dealt with the days, the, the dark days of your death, your crucifixion, and probably a lot of questions that they had about what was going to happen now and maybe even what was going to happen to them personally. I think we can see the humanity here, and I think we're going to find a lot of hope in the different people that pass across the stage this morning because they're a lot like us, Lord. And we, we want to hear from you this morning. So I just pray I'll get out of your way and your word will speak and you bring a word of hope, a word of encouragement, maybe even a word of exhortation. And Lord, we want to lay everything that happens here at your feet as we always try to do that you would speak and you would be glorified. This is the church that you purchase with your own blood. And we are so grateful and so in awe of what you've done for us. And we just want to just take a moment to say thank you for life in Christ. And for those who are visiting today, maybe just checking out the church, or those who are not sure they even know you yet, I pray that they would meet you this morning. In Jesus' holy and mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned in the prayer, it's certainly been a rough couple of days for the intimate followers of Jesus Christ. They had watched their beloved Lord opposed, falsely accused, ridiculed, condemned, beaten, scourged. They watched him walk the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows, and finally saw him crucified. It had to be like a nightmare. Maybe along the way they thought, he's done so many miracles to this point. He's blown my mind so many times, certainly he'll stop this. This can't be the way it's going to end. This can't be what's going to happen. He can't die in this way. Many of them have, had grown up with the idea that the, when the Messiah arrived, he would take David's throne immediately. Rome would be overturned. There were a lot of nationalistic feelings that came up, especially at the Passover holiday where this is the season that they're in. The sun had gone dark at midday, as you recall, and I'm sure many of them wondered if the sun would ever shine again. You've probably had days like that. Maybe you've had weeks like that. Maybe you've had a week like that. You know, Christianity is always about a new day. And if I was going to give this section a title, I think I would call this section a new day. A new day of hope. Because hope, for all intents and purposes, for these people was gone. They believed in a general resurrection, but they didn't believe that there was going to be a resurrection in time. And even though Lazarus had been raised from the dead, I think many of them still held the traditional view that, yeah, there'll be a final resurrection at the end of the world when everything's over, 
Then there'll be a, a resurrection of the just and the unjust. They saw verses about that in some just pockets in the Old Testament. They saw it, for example, in the book of Isaiah, the book of Job, the book of Daniel, and the book of Ezekiel. But besides that, besides those little hints at resurrection, their belief was it's going to be the end of the world, and maybe they said something like this, I'm never going to see him again until the end of everything. When will that happen? Many of you have had to stand at cemeteries and go to memorial services and you've had to face those questions. You've had to ask some deep questions about whether or not the Bible's true, whether or not there's a heaven and a hell, whether or not you're going to see that person again that you love. Those same feelings certainly hit this group of people. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we all know, who are Christians here this morning, is a historic fact. Without the resurrection, we don't have Christianity, folks. Christianity would have ended on a very sad note if Jesus died and he didn't rise because he even predicted his own resurrection. Amen? And if it didn't happen, then Christianity would be false. But if you think about that time, those, those couple of days, those hours that went by as he was in the tomb... It had to be very difficult. It had to reveal some things about people. When we go through our hard days, sometimes it reveals stuff about us. If you're like me, sometimes I don't like what I see. Sometimes I don't like the way I respond to little problems. <laughs> and I can't even imagine what they were going through at the time. They had to be thinking about personal safety, about their families, What's going to happen now? Many of them had been traveling away from home. Many of them probably had family members that opposed them. Jesus' own brothers apparently didn't believe until the resurrection. So this was a tense time. And I think that you're going to find some solace in, in these moments. When we left off last time, death... <laughs> was actually seemingly mocking Jesus as we looked at this area called Golgotha, which literally means the place of the skull. In Latin, it's where we get the name Calvary. And I showed you that picture of death, you know, kind of that, that rock formation that looked like a skull mocking Jesus, right? And the question, I think, is always, will death have the last word in this world? So many people die. You know, recently you may have seen Mary Tyler Moore died and uh, a very prominent actress, you know, that had been around a long time and, you know, used to seeing that big smile and now she's gone. And it brings up questions about what happens to people. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ was disarming death and demons at the cross, Colossians 2.15. 2 Timothy 1.10 says that Jesus has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And Jesus has dealt the death blow to death forever. It's a new day for the church. It's always a new day of hope for the Christian because death will not have the final say. Praise God. So Jesus did rise again and his uh, life and his word continues to change lives. Each time a person comes to know the Lord, they have what the Bible calls resurrection life come into them. They become alive in a spiritual sense which anticipates their own personal resurrection. And as I mentioned, these were some of the hardest days in all of history, but I think it was hardest on Jesus, of course, but hard on his followers as well. So let's take a look and see how they dealt with these hardest situations of life. And I, my prayer for you is that you will find hope again if you've lost some hope here. And you'll find a new day in Christ. This is Mark 15, verse 40. And there were also some women looking on from a distance. They were looking on as Jesus was crucified. Among whom were Mary Magdalene, she's very familiar to us, Mary, the mother of James the Less, and Joseph, and Salome. As we return to the cross, we return to the crucifixion site for a moment, and we're introduced to some women um, I will say this, as being a guy and reading the Bible, I tend to see the Bible through a man's eyes. I think I can't help it. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, uh, there were faithful women 
who followed Jesus, supported Jesus, ministered to Jesus, were the first ones at the tomb, the first ones to see the risen Lord. And even though women had a low status in terms of the culture, and they even say they wouldn't accept a woman's testimony in a court of law, many scholars who've looked at the resurrection say this gives the story more authenticity because if you would have written this story you wouldn't have made the first eyewitnesses of the empty tomb and the resurrection women that's not to say anything demeaning it's just the reality of the culture but these women were the backbone it would seem of the group in many ways in fact they were the ones that came to the apostles and said he's alive and the women were said the guys responded you you lost it ladies what are you talking about he lives right they were without faith and the women had great faith it reminds us that women i think uh, have many in many instances been the backbone of the church or churches i've watched over the decades as women come in with multiple children oftentimes with men missing in action it's not a good testimony when the men of homes are watching football instead of deciding that they're going to lead their families towards Jesus Christ. I've had a great passion for men over my personal ministry because of my own father leaving our family and a desire to say like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So every morning that I wake up, I put on a little thing that says Joshua 24, 15 because I'm a man and I need reminders. I take a coin that we've spread in the men's ministry that reminds me to put on the armor of God. How many of you guys have your coin today? You got it? Hold it up, gentlemen. All right. You owe me a cup of coffee if you didn't bring it. <laughs> and a maple bar. <laughs> but I need reminders. This reminds me to put on the full armor of God before I get trucking during the day. I wear a couple of rings. I wear a ring on my right hand, which says in Hebrew, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I, ring, I wear a wedding ring on my left hand, which reminds me that I've been married to a beautiful woman that I love for 26 years. And she's been extremely faithful to me. And God's been impressing on my heart, maybe you guys can resonate with this, that I'm supposed to love her the way God loves me. Just think about that one for a second. I'm supposed to love her like God loves me. Ooh. Hmm. And I will tell you this, because I've always tried to be real and human with you up here, that I fail many times. And I have to ask for God's help all the time. Well, these women were very precious, and they're named here, and this is not an exhaustive list, but one of them is Mary Magdalene. Would you just turn to the right for a second? Go to Luke chapter 8. Luke 8. Luke gives us a little bit of insight about these ladies. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke. Just the next book to your right. Look at chapter 8. Look at verse 1. Luke 8, verse 1. It came about soon afterwards that he, that's Jesus, began going about from one city and village to another, Luke 8, 1, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also, Luke 8, 2, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Keep in mind, this is a doctor saying this. Mary, who, had, who call, was called Magdalene, from, which, from whom seven demons had gone out. Wow. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. Susanna and many others who were contributing to their, uh, contributing to their support out of their private means. Now we find out a little bit more if you go back to Mark 15 about some of these ladies. They had been touched by Christ and because they had, they began to follow him. They tend to be very much in the background in a lot of the gospel accounts and they come into the foreground just a few times at the resurrection account especially. But we find out that they had been touched by Jesus and because they had, they had been contributing to his ministry. They were not only following him, but they were serving him, which is what Mark tells us in verse 41. Look at Mark 15, 41. It says, when he was in Galilee, that's where most of Jesus' ministry happened in the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee. They used to follow him, these ladies, and minister to him. So they followed him. The word minister is where we get the word deacon or servant. 
and it can have the idea of waiting upon someone or taking care of their needs. They followed him and ministered to him, and there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. Now, they had gone to Jerusalem, remember, for the Passover feast, and these women were serious followers of the Lord, and the few that are named here are probably the ones that are named in Luke 8 as well. And Mary Magdalene, who takes center stage in a lot of these accounts, was a woman with deep gratitude for what the Lord had done for her. Can you imagine being a lady who had seven demonic spirits cast out of you? She wanted to go everywhere where Jesus was. She lived and loved much. She, her name Magdalene indicates that she was from Magdala, a city on the southwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. So she met Jesus somewhere along the way, somewhere in his earthly ministry, and she was one of many people who were touched by the Lord, but she was so touched by him, she never wanted to be anywhere else but by his side. And that's amazing. And I think that that's what should motivate all of us to follow the Lord, is the way that he has touched us, amen, as well. She may be one of the women that was in the upper room in the book of Acts chapter 1, and uh, we also have another Mary that's mentioned. Don't know a whole, whole lot about her, but it's, it mentions uh, that she's the mother of those two. And then Salome, if you just park for a minute on the name Salome, just read it a different way, Salome, and you know what her name means, don't you? Because the Hebrew word shalom means what? Peace. And her name was Salome, or it seems to be a form of shalom. And so this, this particular woman, um, some believe, was the mom of James and John, the two sons of thunder. She may be, have been the one that asked Jesus if they could have special spots at his right and left hand, but she was there as well, 42. When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that's the day when they prepare for the Sabbath, that is the day before the Sabbath, Preparation day was a big day because you couldn't cook on the Sabbath, so you had to make all the food and everything before sundown on Friday when the Sabbath had begun. And so you had to make all of the preparations. Now, you ladies know that when a holiday comes, man, oh man, things can get tense and hectic in the house, right? If there's people in the kitchen that don't belong in the kitchen, get out of the kitchen! They just want to look in the refrigerator just to look. What are you looking for? Do you think something's going to jump out at you? This is often what I'm told. Move a few things and you may find what you're looking for. I don't want to move anything. I just want to stare at it. See if anything jumps out at me. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm looking for, frankly. <laughs> I'm just there. Anyway. They had to make all these preparations, and for the Passover, the preparations were tripled. You know, you had to do everything for the holiday, garments, and all the traditions that went with the Sabbath, or with the uh, um, Passover. So the Sabbath began at sundown, and Jesus died at three in the afternoon. So a lot of these things had to happen, as we'll see in a moment. Mary Magdalene, these women, standing by Jesus' side, a little bit in the background, but very faithful. So grateful. I want to just park here and take these individual stories and ask you are, you, are you like Mary Magdalene? Maybe you follow the Lord in the background. Maybe you wonder if the Lord really knows what you do or how you serve Him. Or maybe you're in that position right now where you are a, a person that you're troubled by a lot of darkness in your life. And you're wondering if deliverance can come. It did for Mary and for many of these folks. The next person we're going to see in verse 43 of Mark 15 is a man named Joseph of Arimathea. You'll notice that a lot of these people that we're introduced to are identified by where they come from. Mary Magdalene from Magdala, Joseph of Arimathea, Jesus of Nazareth. So sometimes people were called by the name of their parents or their father's name, sometimes by the location they lived. Joseph is Joseph of Arimathea, verse 43. He came... He was a prominent member of the council. That's the Sanhedrin, the leading council of Israel, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up, or he took up the courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now in verse 39, Jesus dies. The centurion says, certainly this was the Son of God. And Jesus has now died on the cross. 
And Joseph of Arimathea was a prominent member of the council who condemned him. And some people wonder, was he there when Jesus was condemned? And we don't know for sure. We know that things happened hurriedly. We do know that, that other gospel writers say he was not consenting to their action. So we know that he didn't agree, but he may have been there and may have failed to step up in the moment to oppose the council. So we look at Mary Magdalene and the other women, and we look at a man named Joseph of Arimathea, very prominent. He was excited about the kingdom. He had decided that Jesus was the Messiah. But in a moment of intense pressure to step up, whether he was there or not, he didn't. He didn't show courage in the moment. If he was there, then he didn't, he might, might have said, look, I've got an issue. I believe he's innocent, but he didn't try to stop the proceedings. And many of us live with regrets of things that we should have done. We often have a phrase, shoulda, woulda, coulda, right? And sometimes it relates directly to our Christian faith or how we live it out. The church is filled with people with regrets. Not just people who have regrets from the days before they were Christians, but even regrets after they became a Christian. And here's Another man, Joseph of Arimathea, he's a prominent member of the council. Matthew 27 tells us he was a wealthy man and he had to gather up the courage. I love this because sometimes courage needs to be gathered up. Amen? It's not, it's not always natural for us to be courageous people. Sometimes we're like the cowardly lion, right? Courage, ain't it the truth, right? We want it. You know, and we, we'll even try to talk ourselves into things, right? Wicked witch or no wicked witch, I'll tear them up. And then he says, I just have one thing to ask of you, fellows. And they say, what's that? He says, talk me out of it, <laughs> right? A little cowardly lion for you. Anyway, sometimes we have to gather up courage. You say, well, where do you find it? I don't know, let me know if you... <laughs> Sometimes we have to just pick it up, gather it up. You know, the Bible is filled with exhortations to be strong and courageous. Some of your favorite Bible verses are there. Joshua chapter 1, what around verses 7 through 9. Deuteronomy 31, around verses 6 and 7. Be strong and courageous. Don't be dismayed. Don't live in fear of them. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I believe it. Lord, we sometimes say like the dad in Mark 9, but help my unbelief. And finally, Joseph said, I don't care what happens to me. I'm going to go and ask for the body of Jesus. If you read a little bit on what happened to crucifixion victims, they were condemned for high treason. And writers say that all the decision-making fell with the Roman magistrate. So somebody like the prefect... Pontius Pilate was really in control. They said that the families would sometimes come and ask for the body, and it was really up to the prefect or the governor to decide what he was going to do. But Pilate already knew that Jesus was innocent, right? He tried to let him off. We don't know why the family didn't come and ask for the body. It could have been that Mary was just overwhelmed by the events of the cross. Uh, it, it appears that Joseph is no longer alive. So Joseph of Arimathea, who is not a family member of Jesus, goes to Pilate. He has to gather up the courage, which means he's going to identify himself with this uh, executed uh, Messiah, right? He's going to risk his place on the council and to be one of these 70 in the Sanhedrin was about the highest you could get in a religious and political career. Everything was at stake. To go and ask, you know, Pilate was already upset. Pilate might have just said, oh, you're one of them too. And maybe he would have just condemned Joseph on the spot. But he mustered up the courage. If you turn to John's gospel for a second, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go to John 19. John 19. And we're going to look at verses 38 through 42. And we've got some pictures for you. Um, Sumi, if you're ready, let's throw up one of those pictures of this area. So um, what you're seeing behind me is a picture of what's called the garden tomb. Interestingly enough, and I've been kind of giving you little commercials about going to Israel, but we are going to Israel next spring. So it's a little better than a year away. 
And if you're interested, John the Beloved back there. John, stand up for a second. <laughs> That's what I thought. Just wave at everybody. John is helping organize the trip, and so you can talk to him. Will you be outside today, John? He'll be outside in the courtyard if, unless he gets blown away. <laughs> well, if you look at this, this photograph, uh, what happens is it, over here, uh, this I think would be east, Golgotha, that face that I showed you in the rock, is about 100 yards from this location. All right, so let's read the text and see what we find here. John 19, 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but what? He was a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. He came, therefore, and took away his body. Now, he was rich, so we shouldn't imagine that he was alone. He probably had servants helping him. But notice Nicodemus came also, verse 39. Nicodemus was that man that came to Jesus by night. He was a religious leader, John chapter 3. He said, Lord, we can see that you're from God. The things that you do make that evident. And Jesus doesn't even respond. He just says, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter back into his mommy's womb and be born again? And Jesus has said, no. If I can paraphrase, I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. Well, Nicodemus obviously became a follower because he came also. He had first come to him by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place, 41, where he was crucified, there was a garden. You can see the garden setting. This is called the garden tomb in this photo. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, on account of the Jewish, Jewish day of preparation, they had to hurry because the Sabbath was coming at sundown. Because the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, when you go to Israel, you don't know for sure if these sites are authentic or not. And I'll just say that to you up front. But it is interesting. What they believe is Golgotha is about 100 yards from this location. So let me just go to the next picture, if you would. This is probably what it looked like. They would roll a major stone against a hewn-out tomb out of the rock, if you go to the next one. This is a picture from the inside. There would be a, a place where they would actually lay the body. Go to the next one. This is actually a sign if you uh, get a chance to go to Israel and you walk into the tomb. This sign is there. He is not here. <laughs> he is risen. Amen? Go to the next one. Is there a next one? Oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> there you go. So Joseph of Arimathea was a secret disciple. Are you, are you a secret Christian? Nobody really knows. Nobody at work knows. Nobody at school knows. Why? Have you ever had a moment in your company where you meet somebody and you both confess Christ at the same time? You're like, you, you! And you've been working together for 27 years. There should be some evidence that you're a believer. Amen? In your company. Like maybe you pray over your Cocoa Puffs or something. That's a cereal, by the way. You didn't know that. So here's Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus. And these are men that stepped up, but they stepped up after he was dead. Go back to Mark 15. There's a lot of us that we reflect on our lives and, you know, think about the, the position of these two men. Um, all of them, it would appear, did not believe in a resurrection that was coming in a few days. Even though Jesus had said it. So can you imagine, just, I want you to feel for a second the regret. I mean, that hurts, doesn't it? When you feel like, man, I'm not going to see Jesus again. This is their thought process until the end of the world or until I end up in the presence of God. And so that had to be hard to take. These two men had stayed in the shadows and now they come into the light. And we we're told why they withheld. They did it because of fear. There's so many people that 
Fear drives their decisions not to tell family about their commitment to Christ. Some people are even afraid to admit it to a spouse. Verse 44, back in Mark 15, Pilate wondered if Jesus was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. The centurion is mentioned in Mark 15, 39 as making a confession of faith that Jesus was truly the Son of God. We have the women. We have, Pot, we have uh, Joseph and Nicodemus. The women followed him kind of in the background. Joseph and Nicodemus were secret disciples. They, they kind of lived their Christian life out of fear. And then when Jesus was dead, then they stepped into the light which sadly a lot of people wait until a memorial service to say how they really feel about somebody. Now's the time to tell somebody who's alive that you love them. I'm not bagging on anybody here. We all have our regrets, but I'm just saying this. You're alive right now. Don't assume that people around you know how you feel. Men are famous for this. I thought it, therefore it must, they must know. No, that's not the case at all. The centurion had watched Jesus die and he ascertained, Pilate did from the centurion, that Jesus was dead and he granted the body to Joseph. The centurion said, yes, he's dead. And the centurion is another man who apparently is converted as he watched Christ on the cross. Maybe you're like the centurion. He was a tough man, a hardened soldier, responsible centurion. Comes from the idea of a sentry. He was responsible for a hundred soldiers. He was something like a, a captain in the army. And he was converted. I want you to see the different people that come into the body of Christ. Women and political and religious leaders and centurions. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, your country of origin, or even how you responded to the gospel in the past. What matters is will you believe and follow him now? Will you? I mean, each of these stories should give us hope. Joseph bought a linen cloth, 46, back in Mark 15, he took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock, and he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. It was easier to roll it uh, into, into the groove than to um, push it away. I don't know if Joseph knew this, but Isaiah 53, 9, written 700 years before all of this happened, says his grave, the grave of the Messiah, Isaiah 53, 9, was assigned with wicked men, plural, Yet he was with a rich man, singular, in his death, because he had done no violence, nor there was, any, was there any deceit found in his mouth. Could Joseph of Arimathea know that he was fulfilling prophecy? I don't know if he knew it, but if Mary had come and gotten the body, we assume that Mary was not well-to-do, and there wouldn't have been a rich man's tomb, and the story would have been different. So Mary, whatever the reason is that she doesn't ask for the body, is all a fulfillment of Scripture. Because Jesus had to be buried in a rich man's tomb. And it just shows you the little detail that God gives to show you the Bible is true. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, 47, were looking on to see where he was laid. So they had looked on at the crucifixion site. They were watching, and they saw where he was laid. Now remember, if this is all... Uh, if the pictures I showed you are accurate, or even if they're not, we know that the tomb was close by to the crucifixion site. So it wasn't a big distance. They marked the location of the tomb, which is important because some skeptics of the Christian faith say, maybe the women came to the wrong tomb. No. They knew which tomb it was. It was a very prominent location. It was in a garden. It was a rich man's tomb. It was hewn out of the rock. They knew where it was. They had marked the location. So it wasn't one of those, oops, are we at the right tomb? No, it wasn't that at all. And when the Sabbath was over, now we move into Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices. They had to wait till after the Sabbath was over that they might come and anoint him. So now it would appear that these faithful and loyal women did not believe that the job was done properly and they took great care of the body and they had a limited amount of time before the sun went down and it was actually the Sabbath when they couldn't do this. And just keep in mind, for those of you who have read through the Old Testament, that to touch and handle a corpse did what? It made you ceremonially unclean. And you were going into a holiday, Passover, where you wanted to enjoy the festivities. 
So everybody who was participating in this technically, even though to touch the body of the Messiah, technically we would say, you know, uh, of course it was a great honor for them to do this, but from a Jewish perspective, this made them ceremonially unclean. So there was a lot going on here that these were all participating in. But the women wanted to make sure that he was well taken care of, and they wanted to anoint the body, which was really an act of love. They weren't coming expecting a resurrection. They were coming to pay respects and anoint the body. And very early on, the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They came on what day? The first day of the week. The first day of the week is not Monday for the Jewish culture. What is it? It's Sunday. Isn't that kind of interesting? Sunday. <laughs> anyway, just put an S-O-N there. So the church began to meet on Sunday mornings. Sunday was actually a work day for the ancient Jewish people. The, the Sabbath was Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, and then they went back to work on Sunday because that was the first day of the week. So the evidence is that the early church met early in the morning on the first day of the week. Why did they do that? Why did they move from Shabbat or a Sabbath gathering to a Sunday to honor the resurrection? And nothing less than the resurrection would have moved the early church to meet on Sundays. And so they gather on the first day of the week and they came and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So the ladies were talking, no men around. Of course, they were all hiding behind closed doors, right? The women come, and they have a practical question. You saw the illustration I showed you. The size of that rock was significant. And so they said, who's going to roll away the stone? That's a very good question. It's not a question I would be discussing as you're going to the tomb, though. Would have been nice if you had a plan. This sounds more like a man than a woman, actually, doesn't it? Did you get directions? No. We don't need it. We have those phones now. That lady in the phone will tell us where to turn. It's a glorious invention. Anyway, who will roll away the stone? That was the question. And here we're going to get the answer in Matthew 28. Just a few pages back. Matthew, just before Mark. All four Gospels, by the way, deal with the resurrection of Jesus. And there's only one other story that all four Gospels talk about other than the resurrection. This is Bible trivia. Anybody guess it? It's the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, 28.1 in Matthew, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. I love that. <laughs> angel came down, right? Rolled away the stone. Angels are strong, right? Whoop! Stone's gone, and he sat down on top of the stone. His appearance was like lightning. Now he seems to get there before these ladies show up, at least to do this part. And his garment was as white as snow. White is the color of heaven, by the way. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. <laughs> I would like video of this. He comes down, moves the stone away, sits down on the rock, and the guards are like, <laughs> shaking in their sandals. The word shook is the word where we get earthquake. And so they were shaken. Sunday morning, there was a whole lot of shaking going on. And he sat on the rock. They didn't have to worry about rolling away the stone. God would take care of that. By the way, the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away to let the witnesses in. Amen? He didn't need that because he has power. R. Kent Hughes tells a story. He said, when my kids were little, I used to throw pennies into our swimming pool. And they would, the boys would dive into the pool and they would collect as many pennies as they could. They'd hold their breath for as long as they could. And it was a game, right? And they would collect these pennies. And when they couldn't hold their breath anymore, they'd go to the top and they'd come through the top of the water. 
And he used that illustration in his commentary to say, that's kind of how it was with Jesus. Jesus went down into the tomb, but it was impossible for death to hold him, and he came up through the tomb, if you will, and exploded into life. It was impossible for death to hold him because he is life. Amen? And so he came out of the tomb, but the angel is there really to help the first witnesses. And so he rolled away the stone. Back to Mark and we'll finish it. Mark 16. So here come the ladies to the tomb. They're expecting just to do some anointing and to take care of the body. But what they were about to get would change their lives forever. It says, and looking up, Mark 16, 4, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. All of a sudden, the stone's been moved. You might, might have read some books before. Who rolled away the stone? Who moved it? Well, that had to be a question that they were asking. But the stone was rolled away. And entering into the tomb, verse 5, they saw a young man. This is a description of an angel. And just, just so you know, I know that some of the uh, accounts in Scripture say there was one angel. Some say there was two angels. May I submit to you, there's probably a whole lot of angels there. I think they just appeared or showed themselves when they wanted to. But just like at the birth of Jesus, when there were many angels, there was one, and then a, there was a myriad of angels who were singing glory to God in the highest. Well, I think there was probably a lot of angels at the tomb. Was there one? There was two? Yeah, there was both. And wherever there's two, there's one. You guys seemed to like that the last time I made that <laughs> powerful, logical argument. So they entered the tomb and they saw a young man sitting at the right. Sometimes angels are described as men wearing a white robe and they were amazed. Now this guy, if you're a VeggieTale fan, was way to go. <laughs> Real shiny. And he said to them, now can you imagine meeting an angel? Now, I know some of you guys have angel stories, but can you imagine meeting an angel? How you doing? I don't know what you do. Do you shake their hand? I don't know. But they were amazed. They were blown away. In fact, when people see angels, they're often just on their face. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. Come and see the place where they laid him. He's not there. This is the tomb that you saw. This is the location. This is the stone. And if you want to examine, take a good look. He's alive. He has risen. And the early church learned. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh, we need some coffee he is risen he is risen indeed this is the capstone in the arch of christianity if christ be not risen we are of all people to be pitied for we are dead in our sins first corinthians 15 but he is risen and he's become the first fruits of those who are in christ jesus and because he lives you will live and that that loved one that you had to deal with the loss of them, if they're in Christ, they will live. Amen? Amen? This is what it means. The story does not end on Friday. It does not end on Saturday. Sunday has come. And he lives. Hallelujah. Amen. And so the, the angel said, <laughs> sometimes you want to respond to the angel like, what do you mean don't be amazed? <laughs> Empty tomb, stone rolled away. You're real shiny. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Take a look. They're invited to investigate. By the way, I'll just say this to you. Don't be afraid to investigate your faith. Don't be afraid to look at arguments for the resurrection. They're very compelling. Do you know what most modern critical scholars are doing now? They have to come up with alternate theories to the resurrection. 
Some of them say Jesus wasn't really crucified. It was a twin. <laughs> I'm serious. But you know what? The angel just said in verse 6, Jesus the Nazarene who has been what? Crucified. No, Jesus was crucified. And Jesus rose from the dead. Some people say, oh, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He literally swooned on the cross. This was called the swoon theory. And it's swooned out the window now. <laughs> it, it doesn't hold any water. It's very clear that Jesus died on the cross. That's why they didn't break his legs. That's why when they pierced his side, blood and water came out. All of these are attempts to try to explain an empty tomb. The early story was the disciples stole the body. No, they didn't. The disciples were behind closed doors hiding. They didn't steal the body. By the way, if anybody would have stolen the body, why would the grave clothes be there with the little head napkin neatly? Why, if you're a grave robber, if you tried to steal somebody, wouldn't it be better to keep the body wrapped to move it? So all of these things. By the way, the, the tomb was also sealed, right? And the guards were there. So nobody was going to get by the guards. These are all attempts to try to explain an empty tomb without a supernatural resurrection. And it just doesn't work. And then the angel says, But go and tell his disciples and Peter. Now you have the women, you have the centurion, you have Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And here's a guy that we know his last interaction with Jesus, his name is Peter, was a very sad one. He was walking through the courtyard. He had denied the Lord three times, and Jesus and Peter in the book of Luke looked at one another, and the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord, that you're going to deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This man was the leader of the twelve, the spokesman, very brave, big fisherman, and he had had what he would probably deem the tragedy of his life. He thought he was going to make good with his word. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you made a very strong statement about your faithfulness and your ability. Even though everybody else blows it and everybody else bails, you won't. You're a serious Christian. And then maybe you were confronted with your own humanity and weakness and you fell like a ton of bricks. And you're wondering, man, is there a way back? I want you to see the, the beauty. Obviously, the, the angel had gotten a message from the Lord to tell Peter. 1 Corinthians 15, 5 says that the Lord appeared to Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he said to you. Now, Jesus will appear in Jerusalem, but he will ultimately appear to the bigger group in Galilee. And Peter needed a word of assurance. He'd had the failure of his life. Do you remember when uh, the other gospel writers say that they hear about the empty tomb, that it's John and Peter that run to the tomb, remember? And Peter is behind John. Now we wonder, did John write in his gospel just so he could say, I beat Peter in a running race? <laughs> I don't think so. Although it's always possible. <laughs> I think it was because Peter was probably lagging a little behind thinking, if he's risen... What do I say to him? What will he say to me? And remember, Jesus will have a dialogue with Peter, one that's recorded in John 21 when he says, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Well, Peter needed a word of assurance, and maybe you do as well this morning. Maybe you've failed. Maybe you've fallen on your face. Be of good cheer. The Lord can bring you back. And they went out, final verse, and they fled from the tomb from, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, we're going to see uh, as Mark's gospel continues that this will turn into them. Uh, they are told to share it, the message and they will. But they were trembling and astonished and they, they had fear. And their, their immediate reaction was, oh, we don't even know what to do, what to say. Eventually, Mary Magdalene, we know, does go and report and so forth. They departed, Matthew 28, 8, quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And Matthew 28, 8 says, and ran to report it to the disciples. He's alive. 
because he lives, you will live also. I don't know where you find yourself on the spectrum of faith today. Maybe you find yourself with Mary Magdalene, maybe with Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus. Maybe you find yourself somewhere with Peter. But wherever you find yourself, I would just say this to you. Every day as a Christian is a new day. Amen? It's a day of hope. A day for a new start. That's what resurrection often means to me is that I can always start again. I can wake up in the morning and say, this is a new day, Christ is alive, and I'm going to live for his glory. Would you bow your hearts with me? Father, thank you for that the hope of the resurrection is reality and it means everything to us, and we're just so grateful that we can gather and celebrate Mark's account of the resurrection and celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive and he died and rose because of all our shortcomings and mistakes. That's why he came. And the immediate group that's before us, we can see how human they are. They're so much like us, filled with doubts and fears and struggles, but also persevering and trying to do the right thing and lacking faith at times. But Lord, uh, you tend to do above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. And they came to a tomb expecting just to do some final things with a body and, well, they... They were confronted with the greatest miracle of all time. That Jesus Christ, in the very history in which we live, rose from the dead. And he lives. And we know that what happens next is he will show himself to Mary and to others. 1 Corinthians 15 says more than 500 people saw him at one time. And this tradition of 1 Corinthians 15 probably dates within a year of the cross, and it tells us that the church saw this of first importance. And Paul passed it on, and it's the gospel that Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried, and that he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel, the good news, with your head and heart bowed. Have you met Christ? Have you met the risen Lord? Have you experienced his resurrection power? Do you know him? If you ended up going to heaven tonight, would it be certain that you know him? Make sure right now. Keep your head and heart bowed. It's something like this. I invite you to pray out loud if you want to just make this official. Jesus, pray it if it's you. Come into my life. Thank you that you died on that cross for my sins. Thank you that you rose from the grave to defeat death that scares me. I believe I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Please forgive me and cleanse me. Give me a new start. I want to know the power of your resurrection. I want to live for your glory. Lord, would you help those people who are articulating prayers right now and their hearts are out loud? Would you help that person that maybe is rededicating their life to you right now? That person who's maybe even failed recently. That they can have a new hope, a new start today. They'd walk out their faith and walk in the direction of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.